the old flip phone. It won't do anything. You know, it's just, it's, some days I just think, gosh, that's the phone I want. Uh, just so I can just make phone calls on it. That's all I want to do. But if you've got a smartphone, version is a great tool that you can uh, read Scripture anytime in just about any version possible. And if you're in the car and you plug it in, it, whether through Bluetooth or through an auxiliary cable or whatever, it will even read Scripture to you. You can find a reading plan in which you can you know, go through different, all kinds of different plans. Either you can just read through Scripture or you can read through kind of devotionals that will give you scripture and also have a devotional thought with it and they're just there's no way you're going to go through all of them they're so numerous it's a great tool to use but here you can also use it so you can follow along with our notes you can email those back to yourself you can take your own notes on version, or you can even share some of those online if you want uh, but I'm going to be kind of jumping around different places. But as we think about the main thing, and as I was praying about God, you know, I, it's a, it's, as a pastor, it's, it's a big deal to say, okay, we need to talk about the main thing. Because if you don't actually talk about the main thing, then you're in trouble. <laughs> so when we talk about the main thing with God, because how do you boil him down and how do we boil the church down to, to just one thing? And it's truly difficult to do that, but as I prayed about, well, God, I don't want to do it injustice to what you believe the main thing is, and so it just came to me, one of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And for me, that is the main thing, and that is the reason that Journey exists. It's the reason we come together as a community. It's the reason that we talk about the things we talk about, that we structure ourselves in the ways that we structure ourselves. It is because He has rescued us and brought us out of darkness and put us into the light. When we look out at lives that have been touched by Christ, I'll tell you, The lives that are most on fire for Christ are the ones who recognize the greatest rescue from the darkness. When you don't feel that you've truly been rescued from something, it will be hard to keep the main thing the main thing. But when you know that you have been rescued, then it is not because that is what we live for, to proclaim what God has done for us. For the church, the main thing is to declare the excellencies of God in this world. That is what I believe God is moving us to, what God is telling us to do, and I believe that is what God wants you to be a part of. Now, how do we do this? Uh, There's lots of strategies and structures, but there are three primary things that I think that we have to do in order to proclaim the excellencies of God adequately by keeping the main thing the main thing. Number one is by sharing his story, which is the gospel. We cannot proclaim the excellencies of God unless we are proclaiming God's story. All of Scripture is telling this story. All of the Old Testament is telling us this story. All of the New Testament is telling us this story. The last words before Jesus ascended into heaven were these in Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
Is this it? Is it is the culmination of everything about to happen right now? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then he ascended into heaven. Anytime someone shares their last words... They have thought about the last words that they're going to share with you. That means those are important words. And so these words that they are going to be His witnesses, those are important words. As followers of Jesus, we have to be sharing His story. A second thing that we've already talked about in this series, and I just want to mention it again today because this is so crucial to everything when we talked about The two greats, the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. The Great Commission, you'll go and tell the gospel everywhere. And the Great Commandments, that we will love God and we will love others as we love ourselves. The second thing that we do to proclaim His excellencies is by loving Him and by loving others. It's very easy to boil things down in a church into activities. Because that's the way we operate in every other area of our life. We we choose what we're going to be a part of based on the activity. Is the activity something that is good? Is it something that I want to be a part of? Does it add to my life? Are these activities things that, you know, I, I, I want to continue these? And we base our determination about whether we're going to be involved on what the activity does for us. And that's the way many people view church. Does it do anything for me? Do I want to do this? Is this how I want to spend my time? But that is not the picture of the church. It's the way the church often falls into. But that is not what the church is supposed to be. The church is about a community loving each other and loving those outside of its walls. We read crucial things about this in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, activities... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, again, more activities. But but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. The activities themselves are not the main thing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love is the point of the activities. When activities begin to happen within a church and love is not present, they begin to feel very empty, and they begin to feel very useless, and they begin to just be a burden to us when there's not love. And what we're reading about here in 1 Corinthians is that that love is the thing that gives it its substance. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So as you come in, whether it's here or it's somewhere else, the way that you love others is crucial to helping others to see the excellency of God. When we live our lives running from one thing to the next, and yet we have not spent any time in how do we love other people, then those activities are eventually going to fall away. I think one of the worst things that you can do is to live a full life of activities and yet not experience love in the process. Because I doubt there's anybody on their deathbed, given the choice, Do you want a life full of love or do you want a life full of activities? How many of us would choose the activities? Now, if we're bored, maybe we would choose the activities. But let's be honest, we would always choose to be loved. A third thing, if we're going to proclaim the excellencies of God, means that we are not going to be able to proclaim the excellencies of ourselves. You know, it's hard to not live your life with the goal of proclaiming the excellency about, about yourself. To be at work and let everybody know that you're the best employee there, right? To be with your friends and tell all your friends how you're the best at whatever. There is really nobody who is our greatest, greater publicist than ourselves because we are most invested in wanting people to think well of us. And so if we're going to proclaim the excellencies of the one who's brought us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, then we have to be following his will. One of the ways we proclaim his excellencies is we subvert our will for his will. John the Baptist showed us an example of this where he was the most popular speaker of his time. Thousands of people came to see him out in the wilderness Thousands of people responded to his message. Even Jesus came and was baptized by John. And when John was killed, Jesus said, there has been no greater man who has ever lived than John. And yet John utters those words that should resonate in our heads every time we want to proclaim our own excellencies. I must decrease so he can increase. See, following His will is one of the ways that we keep the main thing the main thing. When we stop saying, what is my will, and instead we say, what is your will? Jesus, even in describing to His disciples about how you should pray, you should pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'll tell you, there's never been a day that I haven't been excited about working on my will. (laughs) There's never been a day I've thought, you know, I just really, I really don't like what I want to do today. I really don't even like what I want to do today. I never think that. Yet it is a constant choice to say, I will follow his will and not my will. We see what his will is for us also in Jesus' instruction to his disciples. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and he said, all authority, which is an important statement, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the greatest promises God has given us is that you will never be alone. He will always be there with you. But He has given us instructions he has demonstrated on a large scale what His will is. And then each of us are usually struggling to figure out on the small scale of our lives, well, how do I fit into that place of His will? In other words, what is God's will for me? Not just for us. And if we believe what Paul writes about the church in, in his writings, he says, you know, the the church is determined by how each person is moved by God working in accord with each other. So as we each find God's will for us, that impacts the larger will around us. Which means that you have a part to play and no one can play your part for you. And if they try, they will never be able to fully fulfill what God is doing in your life so that you can play that part. A lot of times we struggle with believing that we ourselves have anything of value to offer, but the truth is that you have the Holy Spirit to offer. And you have a dream that God wants for your life. God is telling the story that He wants to tell with your life, which is both comforting and frightening, right? God has a story for you. God has orchestrated many events of your life to tell a specific story, and, and we can find comfort in that, and that God cares about my story, and he's using my story to tell his story, and that makes me feel good. But at the same time, sometimes we don't like the story God's telling, don't we? Well, God, I see where you're leading us, and I see the story you're telling about us, but I really don't like that story you know now those people over there i've been watching them i like their story better i want that story see their story is easier than my story things just work out for them and things don't work out for me things just seem to be easy for them they just seem to everybody likes them they they make a, a good living and they just live comfortably and they don't ever seem to have any problems but yet we can't ever seem to catch a break and so we feel like, you know what, God, I, I'm so glad that you want to tell a story and you've written a story with my life, but I'm not sure this is the story I want to be told. And quite honestly, that is such a significant problem for many that that's one reason that people end up walking away from God is because they have determined that the story he's trying to tell in their life is a bad story. And if that's what God's story is going to be, they want no part of it. God is telling the story that he wants to tell with your life, which naturally means we cannot live out God's story if we are preoccupied with our own. Now, you struggle with this. I struggle with this. Deidre and I constantly talk about this. Are the things that we have on our plate that we must do, are they self-inflicted, Right? Are they self-inflicted, the things that we've engaged ourselves in and that sometimes we can't do the things we really want to do or the things we think are really most important because we have these other things on our plate? 
Are we preoccupied with our own story that we tell God, God, I don't, I'm not really, I don't really have time for your story right now because I'm writing my own. The thing about God is that His, his love and His mercy, it's so overwhelming and incredible that while it meets us where we are, it allows us to stay there if we choose that. He doesn't want us to stay there, but He lets us. That's one of the reasons we get stuck is because we have told God, I, I want to stay here. This is the story, my story. I'm preoccupied with my story. I, I'm not looking at the bigger picture of how you might be using this. As I've shared before, hardship is one of the greatest testimonies for a Christian life. If you've been through something difficult, I want you to know God is going to redeem that to change the world around you through your difficulty. It doesn't feel like that when you're in the middle of it. It just feels like it's hard. It just feels like life is hard and, and, and life is in your suffering. But yet God is going to use your story for a reason. He's going to weave together the events of your life for a purpose. And even for those events that you are ashamed of and you wish you had not been a part of and you wish you could erase from your life, God is going to use those. Because God is a God who redeems things and redeems people. When we're preoccupied with our own story, with, you know, the job that's going to give me all my dreams or I'm going to present myself in a way that everybody likes me and they're going to think well of me and maybe they'll even envy my life. When I constantly think about what do I want to get out of this life rather than what does God want for me? One of the constant questions that I believe is on most people's minds today in our entertainment-saturated world is, Am I having fun? But if you've been an adult for, oh, a minute or two, you know that adulthood's not always fun, right? And typically, if you live your life in such a way that you only pursue fun, one of two things is probably going to happen. Either you're going to be homeless on the street or you're going to be in jail, right? (laughs) Because being an adult at times is not fun. Sometimes it means that we tackle hard things. We deal with hard things. And in the church, we are called not to run from the hard things. In fact, James tells us it's the hard things that actually develop you, that grow you, that mature you, that help you to see God more clearly and and see the world more clearly and to be a person who can change the world. And so we don't celebrate hardship, but we celebrate how God redeems the hardship in our lives and then uses us to redeem lives of others and the hardships that they face. We cannot live out God's story if we are preoccupied with our own. Followers of Christ also know that God knows best and His story must be told. Now, as a parent, I think I can say this because none of my kids are in here. Y'all don't go tell them I said this. As a child, we rarely have the radical thought that mom and dad know best, right? 
I really never had that thought till I became an adult. When I was a kid, I never thought mom and dad know best. I always thought mom and dad don't have a clue. I know best. Why won't they listen to me? And mom and dad never listened to me. You know, it was always I had to do what they wanted to do. And then I grew up and realized they were right. <laughs> so I hope that that will happen with my kids. Although my kids are great kids. I don't want to give you any other impression than that. But as followers of Jesus, we have to know that God knows best. Now, you and I, on a theological level, will talk about our beliefs and say God is, he knows everything. I mean, God is wise. God, God knows best. God is, is omniscient. You know, God knows. But does your life bear out a deep-seated conviction that God knows best? Or do you go to God when you've run out of ideas or solutions, but when you've got it covered, you don't really need what he's doing, what he has to say. See, when we truly know Christ, then we say, you know what? He does know best, and his story needs to be told. And if my story, the one that I'm preoccupied with, it doesn't tell his story, then my story needs to diminish so his story can increase. See, keeping the main thing the main thing is not so easy when it's following Christ Because fulfillment in following Christ usually comes in limiting ourselves. We don't want to limit ourselves. We read in Isaiah 55, and I literally, I think about this verse all the time. Usually it's when the Holy Spirit is needling me and and, and I'm telling God what he needs to do. I know you all don't do that, but sometimes in my prayer time, if I'm, you know, really not on my game, that's what I do. I just say, God, okay, here's what I need to happen. If you can make that happen, that would be good. Then Isaiah 55, 8, 9 comes in my mind. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. So sit down and shut up. <laughs> your version has that, right? Isn't that how your version goes? We know that he knows best, and that his story must be told. And there are times that in my infinite wisdom, God shows me that I have no infinite wisdom. (laughs) And all the wisdom we have comes from him. This leads us to a real problem, and why I wanted to talk with you about this today. It leads us to this thought in our minds that we perpetuate sometimes in the church, and it is this, if I could only figure out God's will for my life, then I would truly be living. Some of you have totally embraced what, everything I've said so far. You've totally embraced it, and yet you're still waiting for that thing, for God to show you what his will is. That may be your career. That may be what direction your family's supposed to go in. That may be something in your own life. That may be the dream God has given you, and, and yet you're just not sure how that's all going to play out, and you just want to see where your part is. A lot of times with Christians, there's a lot of fear when God begins to share what he wants for you, and you feel you are incapable or you're not good enough to do it. And it leads us many times in the church to be in this perpetual search for God's will. And until we get there, we're just kind of existing. This is not really a good life. I'm not really living yet. I'm just kind of, I'm just here in this place. I don't really know where to go or what to do. So I'm just going to wait. And I hope before I die, I know God's will. So I can just then life will be good. And I will know life will be full. And I will tell you that is a terrible way to live your life. 
Now, listen to me. Don't, don't zone out and say, okay, Mark said we're not supposed to follow God's will for our life. Good, I'm good with that. I'll be preoccupied with my own story. Don't, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if you are living your life in such a way that you are waiting for God to show him your will before you move, then you are missing it. Because that is not the way God works. It is so easy to be in this perpetual state of, I'm just kind of waiting to hear. I'm just waiting to hear. I'm just waiting to hear. I'm just, I'm not sure yet. I'm just waiting to hear. And that assumes when you say that I'm just waiting to know what God's will is for my life, that assumes that God is not saying anything. Gosh, I'm sorry I keep spitting. I don't know why I keep spitting. You guys, I'm glad you're up here and absorbing it. But it's a dry mouth or something. You know, these lights hit it, and I feel like I'm like Niagara Falls up here. So anyway, that's grossing you out. Your guests, if you're a guest, please ignore what I just said. But, uh, you know, but that assumes when we're constantly saying, you know, God... I'm just waiting for your will. That assumes that he's not saying anything to you right now. God's not drawing you anywhere right now because you don't know the thing. I don't know the the best yet, so I'm just going to sit here and not do anything. And how can we proclaim the excellencies of God if we're on the sidelines saying, well, you've not told me how to proclaim yet, and so I'm just going to sit here and wait. God is always saying something to you. Let me just, we've talked a lot about love and grace over these last few weeks, but let, let's, let me, we need to put a little bit of a harder edge on a few things as well. Because God, while He is inviting us and He is investing in us and He comes and meets us where He is, He has expectations of us. And it's very easy to live in the world of grace and mercy when sometimes God is not exercising grace and mercy at the time. There are places in Scripture where he says there's a hard line. And if you're on the wrong side of that line, then there is judgment. And I will not be there with you. And you can call out to me with your loudest voice that you have, and I will not hear you. Those are the things we don't like to talk about because they don't feel good. Because most of us want to talk about the things that feel good. If you're living in your life thinking, if I can only figure out God's will for my life, listen, listen to me. This is, I, I say this to myself. When we are not obeying the work of the Holy Spirit in the moment, while you are waiting to know God's will, this is disobedience to God's leading right now. Now that doesn't feel good. We like to think, well, I'm just kind of over here, and God's just going, come on, oh, yeah, come on, yeah, oh, they're getting close, I think they're going to move, oh, come on, you know, whenever you're ready, just come on, you know, don't take, don't, you know, don't put yourself out, but when you're ready, oh, let's watch them, oh, that's not what, how it works. That's the way we want it to work, because that is a me-centered concept. That assumes that God's okay with me being self-consumed. When God is saying, if you want to know me, you've got to be consumed with me. And so if we are not moving because we are waiting, just waiting, just sitting here waiting, then that means we are not being obedient to what God is saying right now. 
Now maybe you don't have that clear voice, the writing on the wall that we all really want to see whenever God is talking and speaking to us. Maybe you don't have that, but God is saying something to you. He's drawing you in some way. And He honors every step that you take. We read in Revelation 3, this is, this is a hard passage, and what I want you to remember as we read through this is I want you to remember that what we have said and what Jesus and the apostles have all said up to this vision that John had that comes to us in the book of Revelation, everything has been about the two greats, right? The Great Commission, the whole world needs to know the story of the gospel so that the whole world has a chance to say yes. We've studied the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is working in us from the first moment that we hear the first word or the first thought about God, and He is working in us to understand the gospel and to draw us to repentance. In fact, Scripture tells us that there's no way you or I will ever come to a place of repentance, and therefore we will never come to salvation unless it's the Holy Spirit in us. We, don't, just, we just don't have that in us. But what we read over and over is that the Holy Spirit is drawing us And when we receive that and we repent of our sin and we welcome Him into our hearts, then He begins the process of changing us. And our life becomes about proclaiming Him the Great Commission so that others can follow a similar path and that we will love God and love others. Because remember, without love, anything else we do doesn't matter. It's like a clanging cymbal. At the end of the day, the thing that will last is love. It is this drawing, calling to love, loving God and loving each other, not in the ways that the world says you should love. Because very much the world's picture of love is also the identical picture of enablement. Many times we think it's love by saying, you know what, I'm not going to hurt your feelings. My mom and dad never said that to me. I am 46 years old. My parents still don't have a problem with hurting my feelings. Amen? Anybody else have parents like that? I'll even tell them, you know, you're hurting my feelings. And they'll say, well, I don't care. You know, I mean, literally, some of you know my parents and think they're the sweetest people. That's a show for you. That is a show for you. Because if you, if you grew up in their house, they would hurt your feelings. And then smile about it. No, they wouldn't smile about it. But I'm just... When we read Revelation 3, we remember what love is about. And that God is calling us to that. And the way that we love people is different than the way that the world loves each other. But this is what he says in Revelation 3. This is a a prophecy to the church in Laodicea. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I am prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, (laughs) pishable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself 
and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now this is, a, this is an often used passage for lots of different things. And I think for the most part, the way we interpret this is that the lukewarm are Christians. And they're going to be in heaven. They're just not really on their A game, right? That's the way we usually read this. What God is saying is, I want you either hot or cold. Now, we can recognize cold, right? Cold's easy to recognize. No interest in God whatsoever. They don't want to talk about God. They don't want, God has no influence on them whatsoever. It's easy to see someone who's cold. It's usually easy to see someone who's hot, too. They're the people that like, won't stop talking about Jesus. You know? you know those people. They always want to talk about Jesus. But the lukewarm folks, we're hard to spot. <laughs> we're not real sure because we say we're in and we talk about being in, but at the same time, our lives don't live out like we're in. We don't follow his commands. We don't follow his teachings. We don't follow what he has to say to us. What he's literally saying is lukewarm people do not know Christ, will not be in heaven. Now for me, that is a scary, scary thing. (laughs) Because some days I feel like I'm hot and some days I feel like I am very lukewarm on the cold side. It scares me to death because Scripture also says people like that are going to cry out to God one day. He's going to say, hey, I, don't, I never knew you. I never knew you. There is a hard line in many places in the story of the gospel that we would just as soon gloss over because it feels judgmental. But they're there. And we cannot pretend that they're not. So that means every one of you need to serve if you want to be able to go to heaven, Right? <laughs> That's what you're expecting. We got the shirts out and everything. I mean, we're doing a ministry fair next week. That's not the point. The point is, is he our everything? Is our life revolving around proclaiming his excellencies? Are we really revolved about proclaiming our own? The picture of grace and mercy, by the way, in this story of the spitting him out of his mouth. Not that you're in and I'm just not real happy with you, but you literally don't know me. Is the fact that he says, I'm just standing at the door and knocking. Even for a lukewarm person, he's always standing there with the invitation. Always. Not, I'm done with you. Now, we're done with people. I mean, we have people in our lives that are like, I'm, I'm done with you. God doesn't do that. God is not done with us. He stands at the door and he knocks. God wants and deserves all of us, not just our leftovers. It's not my quote. Francis Chan said that, but it was good, so I stole it. God wants and deserves all of us, not just our leftovers. 
is God getting your leftovers? When you rest, your story's been told and you got a little bit of free time, does God get what's left? Whenever you look at the priorities in which you organize your days, your schedules, your, your spending, your volunteering, is, is He a priority or does He get the leftovers? Matthew 7 tells us this is going to be hard for people. It's going to be hard for us. This is not an easy thing for us. Matthew 7, 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That has not changed. Even in America, when the vast majority of our country claims some affiliation with Christianity, this has not changed. And if we are going to know Him and to follow Him, if we're going to proclaim His excellencies, we've got to know that we know Him. Are we growing? Can you honestly say, I'm growing. I'm growing in my knowledge. I'm growing in maturity. I'm growing in expecting what He wants. I'm growing in understanding the way He sees the world. And I'm growing in understanding my place in the world. Gosh, I want you to know, the best pastor I ever did was in the first two months that I became a senior pastor. I've been downhill ever since, ever since. Now, probably those people that were there in that church those first two months would disagree with me. They were not my best two years of pastoring, they would probably say. (laughs) But I sure thought I was a good pastor. You know, the place that we decide that we've arrived is the place that we walk without God. And what he has shown me every successive year is how much more I have to rely on him. Now that doesn't feel good because the way we want to grow is we want to grow more competent, not less, right? But if you have grown within your own faith and feel less competent than you did, then join the club. God is drawing us. He's encouraging us to continue to rely on Him more and more and to not feel that we have it all together. We must not only love God, but the story that He wants to tell with our lives as we become more like Him. This is the process of sanctification. Justification, those big, our big churchy words that we don't use very often, we only have a few of them, but Justification is the process in which we are forgiven of our sins. We are justified. And I don't mean the TV series. Totally different thing. We are justified by Jesus' blood on the cross. Our faith, our repentance in Him. Sanctification is a process of growing, which means you, start, you began the process at some point, but God's got the bigger picture in store for you, and you're going to get there one day if you continue to follow Him. The more we become like Him in every step of our lives, this is sanctification. Following God's will means that we are driven to love, growing in Christ, and that means we want to be sanctified in every area of our lives. We hunger for it. We ask for it. We want that to be a part of our lives. God, just move me, change me, help me to grow. Romans 14, I told you I had a lot of scripture today. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but listen, this is what the kingdom of God is about. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Whoever serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We have a responsibility to each other. Let me read that again. Just let this marinate over this next week. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking and and input anything else, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So as we come to this, what is God's will for our church? Again, when you start talking like that, it's I feel like you know there might be a lightning bolt could come through the door at any moment. <laughs> but this is what I believe our will, God's will is for our church, is to follow Him in every moment of our lives to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. I don't have that on a t-shirt yet, and I don't have it on a card for you to take home. It's not a slogan for us to say, oh, that sounds good. It's a way of living your life. To follow Him in every moment of our lives, to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. Now, fulfilling the Great Commandments means that we're going to grow in our loving of other people and we're going to grow in our loving of God. That means it's an ongoing process. There's not a place that you arrive and now you're there. But that is what God wants for us. And in the process of everything that we do, this needs to be in our thinking. Every program that we offer, every activity that we have, everything needs to flow into this this part of God's will, that we are growing to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandments. I told you I'd peel back a little bit of the curtain, and if you're a guest, then this is good stuff for you, but I want to show you what I mean by this with some of the activities we have and some of the teams that you'll be seeing next week. But I want you to understand them differently, because when a church puts on something, then the the goal seems to be that thing, but that is not really usually the goal. you know, banners and stuff in the lobby is not so we come in and go, ooh, that's cool-looking stuff. Ooh, I like to be in cool-looking places. That is not the purpose. So one of our new teams that we're just forming is a First Impressions team. And this is our purpose for the First Impressions team, to show our guests that we already love them and want them to be part of our family. It's not so we can hand them stuff. It's not so they'll come and sit and keep a seat warm. It's not so that we can say, hey, we're better than that church down the street. It's so that we can show our guests that we love them and we want them to be part of us. First impressions is an easy way to get involved. We'll talk about that later. But I mean, if you can smile, you can be on the first impressions team. Some of you, I know that you'll have to practice during the week, but you can do it. You can do it. If you know where the bathrooms of worship is and you can point them to coffee, you can do it. And as you feel more confident, then you will stop worrying about doing it right and you will just begin to love other people. And people will feel the love. Gosh, we hear so many times about Gene giving a hug. I've never had anyone say they they like coming to Journey because Mark gave them a hug. It's never been said, and I don't blame them one bit. But we do hear that about Gene. Because she just exudes love. And I know she doesn't even want me saying this, but she just exudes love. That's what first impressions are about, that we love you and want you to be part of our family. Our worship team is one of our most visible teams. And is it supposed to do cool music so we can really feel great about our Sunday morning and we want to come hear the cool music? Our worship team's purpose and our tech team along with them is to lead our church to declare the excellencies of God to the very best of our abilities. That's what worship is. They are facilitators of worship. 
to lead us so that we can proclaim his excellencies. And it's, I know it's tempting because we have some great people up here that do a great job, and it's easy to, to want to proclaim their excellencies, but it is to proclaim God's. That is what worship is. Our small groups are another activity that we have at this church, not just to take up your time and to commit you to being in an activity, but it's to grow as Christians sharing our lives together and sharpening each other in our knowledge and our faith. So small groups are four. So as you are thinking, as we have thought, and you're either getting your house ready to have a group come to your house, or you're getting ready to go to your small group, and you're thinking, oh, we're just kind of tired, and we've got other things going on, and I just don't think that that's something we want to do. We're... The, the purpose of the group is not to take up more time because none of us have that, but it is to provide an opportunity that we can share our lives together and help each other grow. I'm not going to pretend that every time I go to a group, that's on my mind. Sometimes I'm thinking I need to, I've got to go. We've told our groups many times in the past few years, you know what? There are days that I don't want to go to group and it's at my house. <laughs> And I think, I'm just going to go back in the bedroom, pretend I'm sick or not here. But I've never, never felt that way after the group. Never felt that way. Hospitality team is another one. We're not trying to declare the excellencies of Maxwell House, but, you know, they do rate higher than any of the other premium coffees out there. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's what marketing does. The blind taste, anyways, okay, I'm not selling Maxwell House today. Hospitality team is not supposed to be just the thing that takes care of everybody else's need, but it is to care for the community so that it is inspired to care for others. A hospitality team is a new team that's coming together. Donna's been single-handedly managing our hospitality for a long time, and we're having people come alongside to grow that are going to, Help us with our potluck and have more times that we can come together as a community to eat together. Something about eating together. I don't know what it is. But the purpose of the hospitality team is to care for our community so that it is inspired to care for others. Hospitality is a spiritual gift, but it's also an action. Our largest ministry is Journey Kids, and that involves everything from babies through fifth grade. Now, not every church has the largest number of volunteers in their kids' ministry of any other area, but we do. That's because we got a bunch of kids. You guys have a bunch of kids. And we got a whole bunch of kids that are coming. And most of your kids are great kids. No, I mean, all your kids are great kids, right? This is, you know, uh, all our kids are great. They're all different. And a lot of times, kids' ministry is geared towards making sure that you, your kids are returned to you in the same state in which you gave them to us, you know, before when you dropped them off. And, you know, we're, our, let's be honest, some days we're happy that, that we were able to accomplish that, right? Okay. Here you go, you know. But that is not the purpose of our kids' ministry. And our kids' ministry, many of you are involved in that, and our students are involved in that. We have students back there involved right now. My, you know, Jonathan's back there, our 12-year-old's back there being a helper in a classroom right now. 
that the purpose of our kids' ministry is to show our children three primary things in different ways that are appropriate for their age limit, that God made them, that God loves them, and God wants to be their friend forever so that they can have a foundation for their present and future faith. It's not child care. It's why we say it's not child care. It sometimes feels like child care. If you're helping on Wednesday nights and you just had a hard day at work, it feels like child care, right? It does. Or you've had a hard Saturday and you're here on Sunday morning and you feel like, I'm wore out. I'm just flat wore out. This is the purpose of Journey Kids. Typically, most people who serve in this because most of our kids' ministry happens on Sunday mornings. You're going to have to miss worship in order to be involved in our kids' ministry. Most people serve once a month. And we would love for you to be involved in that and to love on these kids. But we want to show them something. Even the babies. We're, and we don't do Bible studies with the babies, but some of you might want to. You could you know, practice some Bible studies with them, but they won't respond. They'll probably cry if I do it. But as they age, we up our ability to communicate with them on the level in which they are able to understand. And we have some incredible teachers and helpers and leaders that understand kids and how to do that and give of themselves regularly for those kids. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of churches that, that don't have a kids ministry. And they, you know, their whole kids ministry team is like on call we got a code. We got a code blue. We got a, we got a little boy here. We need somebody into the kids' room to take you know. And you think, oh, that's Mark's being. Hey, Mark's exaggerating. I've been in those churches. I know people that they struggle with that. Journey Kids is one of our greatest things that we do as a church because it is not just a ministry to those children; it is a ministry to their parents. And so as we invest in them, it is not our goal to be your child's parent, but to partner with you as you are trying to raise your kids. They eventually graduate Journey Kids and they move up into our students. One of the purposes of our students is to lead them to grow deeper in their faith, closer to our community, and be prepared for all God wants them as they are becoming adults. It's not just to do something for students, but it's to lead them somewhere. Our ladies' ministry is an active ministry within our church, and they do all kinds of stuff, and I don't know what they do because I'm not invited, but you can be invited if you're a lady. Let's provide opportunities for ladies to support one another, to live life with one another, and grow in their love for one another. Boy, ladies can do that, and you need it. And guys, men do too. You know, interestingly, what we're hearing is that one of the major things that, that many would like to see is a, a growing men's ministry. But guys are tough because if they're going to get together to eat, they're there. But if anything else is involved, it's tentative, right? If guns are involved, a good number of you will be there, even if food's not there, right? We're going to go shoot something. I'm there. I don't care what it is. I'm there. I'm there. You know, I don't know who's back there laughing. Good gracious. Good gracious. The ladies' ministry, it meets a need. It's not just because we just want to get you in a room. Our missions is another ministry that we're a part of, and we, we partner with several different things. Some of you brought food for Room in the Inn today. Widow's Harvest is going to, we're going to be having a work day next week, next Saturday at, I think, 9. Is it 9 o'clock? 9 o'clock. And it's about three hours of your day. 
uh, and it's going to it's it's a great time to care for a lady that needs help with her home. And we go in the spring and the summer, or excuse me, spring and the fall, because there's not as many volunteer groups. And it's a great time for you, even if you have kids, to bring them. If you've got little bitty kids, you know, you're going to be chasing them around. But I guess, you know, feel free to come and be chasing them around, but you're not going to be much help because we don't want kids shimmying a ladder, right? But if you've got kids, you know, older kids, come and bring them. Our purpose for our missions is to take the light of the gospel to the dark places all around the world. We've helped start a seminary in one of the darkest places in the world that is multiplying right now. Even such that we can't promote it, the place that it is in the world. And yet we have been a part of that. You have been a part of that in your giving. We formed a new relationship with nations over the past year, which is doing things with refugees in our city. A new ministry that's also beginning is intercessory prayer. To invoke the power of God in our midst, redirect our hearts and our hopes towards Him. It's not just we've got to get together and pray because that's what Christians do. We're invoking God's power in our midst. Y'all can be praying for Gene Totherow this morning. Some of you have followed their story. Gene and Christy are two of the nicest people, most caring people you'll ever see. And Gene's been having some heart issues for a while. and He had a pacemaker put in. Hoping to solve his problems, one of the leads got loose and started scraping his heart, and his heart's been bleeding, and he had to have surgery on Friday. They went in to try to fix all that, found out yesterday it's not fixed. Something else is now bleeding, and so he's in ICU right now, and they're hoping to find the solution. He'll probably be back in surgery on Monday, and Christy has just asked for prayers for that. We cover your prayers. Administrative stuff is the hardest role, hardest area of our church because you got to work with me because I'm not organized. Ask anybody who works with me. Administration is not just to make things happen, but to organize our resources and our talents to best meet God's will as a church. It's to organize these things together. One of the needs that we're going to have to deal with in the future that we don't want to have to deal with, but it's here and we have no choice, is the question of security in our midst. Not that we live in fear and not that we're going to put armed guards all around our church, but we have to be aware that safety is important. It's one of the reasons that this door is starting to be locked. And some of you are like, why is this door locked? This is the door I want to come in. We don't want people coming in that door because that's where all our kids are. That door stand locked and come around. Come see our nice pretty banners, you know. It's worth it. It's worth the walk. But that's something some of you may be interested in. Sometimes security means walking a kid to the bathroom. Sometimes it means walking up and down the hall. Sometimes it just means being aware. And that's something we're working on and working towards. Here's what I want to close with. Whether it's any of this, whether it's things, because some of you are involved in some great ministries outside of our church too. We don't, we don't get to monopolize your time inside the church. But you do have a choice to make. And the truth is that we will live our life letting life happen to us or we will be intentional about where we're going. And I want to encourage you not to give God the leftovers, but make Him the driving purpose of your life.
Instead of pursuing your perfect life, pursue a heart that loves the will of God and loves His sanctifying work within your life. Because in all that we do, we have to keep the main thing, the main thing, always. So let's do that together. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for what you're doing in our midst, what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you will continue to show us not only your will, but how we can grow in you, the sanctification process within our lives, and that whatever story our lives are telling, God, we trust that you work all things for good for those who know and love you. And God, I pray that we would be confident and comfortable with the story you're telling us or through our lives. Father, I pray that you would show us the dream and the next that you have planned for us so that we can go out and live lives knowing that you are active and at work within us. I pray that you would give us the courage to take risks and to do things that are uncomfortable because there is a greater purpose for that. Pray that as a church you would give us wisdom that we would be fulfilling your will for our church and not just get involved in religious activities. Father, you would help us to proclaim your excellencies because you are in our minds and in our hearts our greatest treasure. You have brought us out of the darkness and into the light. Let us be on fire for you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.